Adventure awaits at every turn in Cedar City, Utah. Hike through breathtaking Red Rock Canyons, bike along scenic trails, and enjoy a meal at one of our favorite restaurants. While you're in town, catch a show at the Utah Shakespeare Festival, a Tony Award-winning theater experience with shows going all summer. Bring the whole family for unforgettable moments, from thrilling outdoor adventures and stunning national parks to charming downtown festivals and events. There's so much to discover in Cedar City, Utah. Check out visitcedarcity.com to learn more. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Take the Black Live, a show of myself, Dan Selke, WinkageComing.net, and uh, Cheryl Wassenaar of Cultures.com. Talk about all things Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire, Drowned or Fiction. Cheryl, how are you doing today? I mean, I was doing better before you started pointing a fake knife at me, Dan. The incredibly fake plastic dragon last night that I'm going to have in every single episode from now on. I'm so glad. You never know when White Walkers will invade. Yeah. Like fake white walkers can only be killed by fake dragon class. Oh boy, we're taking this way too far. You're going too deep, Dan. You're going too deep. Wait, hello, Amy, Julie, Daniel, Corinne, Desiree, Lisa, Karen, Tanja, Christian. Hey, everybody. Um, first things, really, really quick. You may have noticed that we have attempted, we're not quite there, to steam um, the banners. I know they don't look perfect. Um, we'll, 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 we'll steam them even harder next time before the, yeah. the first season eight episode thing. But yeah. we did do it and we're going to do it some more. Yes. So, okay. I took over steaming from Dan. Um, <laughs> I was doing it okay. Was, yeah. I, was I doing it totally You were doing okay. Job? You were doing okay. But there's, there's a technique to it and we'll, we'll work on it. We will teach him the ways. Yeah. Next week, this will be so smooth. You'll be able to ice skate on them. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it didn't work. You were trying. Okay. First thing we hey Kenny, hey Kathleen, hey Janine, hey Terry, hey Kay, Kai. The first thing we're gonna do is talk about the Game of Thrones season eight uh, premiere. People have seen it. It's happened. Last week, uh, the cast and crew stepped out in New York City, some theater, I forget the name of it, to watch the season eight premiere, um, to view it in a big old theater, and people have talked about it. So why don't we see what they've been saying? Please, let's do it. And judge for yourself. Okay. Oh, and Karen says, they look much better. Thank God. I spilled a lot of steamer water trying to get them to look even marginally better. All right. Of the season eight premiere, James Hibbard of Entertainment Weekly, he of uh, the Westeros War Correspondent, this is how he described the season eight premiere. Fantastic. So many reunions. Some epic sequences. Not just table setting for the rest of the season. Major stuff happens in deeply satisfying ways. He loved it. We were talking um, on Twitter a little bit, too, when he was really into it. All right. Good sign, right? That's a good sign. I like that he says it's not just table setting. Like with a a condensed season in terms of episode count, there's not a lot of time to do table setting. Like you're going to have to do it while you're doing other things. That's kind of always been the case. Got to be efficient. 
I can't think of any really game this episode that was just about setup. They usually do something. Yeah. Like, even the one after Jon Snow died, like, we still learned that Melisandre was a thousand years old. Yeah. But it, there, there are episodes that kind of feel slower sure. than others. But yeah, not yeah. surprised there'll be stuff happening. And Julie says, great effort on the banners. Very happy that we were getting congratulated on this. It'll be even better next week. Go team. Okay. The Telegraph's Jane Mulcairin's writes the first episode has some unsettling violence and also witty one-liners. If you want, she like kind of spoiled some bits. I won't go into them here. Okay. She talked about like what Sarya and Ansa, Sar- Sansa and Arya get up to or their relationship with Jon and Daenerys, but we'll deal with that later. Okay. It's about what you'd think it would be. Oh you know, my. there's, there's going to be some, uh, some shenanigans. Tension. I don't say shenanigans. Just um, not everyone trusts each other right at the bat. That's fair. Which I think is perfectly fine. Uh, unsettling violence. I'm not sure if I'm concerned by unsettling violence because the whole show, like, like okay, this is a show where they once basically exploded a guy's head on camera, <laughs> like. I think we've crossed the line here. <laughs> if you know where to look, you can probably get descriptions of what happened in the premiere, people who saw it. Yeah. I think I know what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. It does sound extreme. I don't know if they'll ever be able to top over it. Exploding, exploding head on camera. But you know what? Season eight, you're welcome to try. Go for it. <laughs> Go for broke. Uh, and finally, GQ's Jonathan Thompson said it's the best premiere in the show's history. He reveals that there's a, a, oh yeah, there is a new intro that, um, so some people in the audience, including apparently Carice Van Houten, who plays Melisandre, nice. had their phones out. That's alleged. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's true. If you think it's oh, Carice, for Carice Van Houten specifically? Yeah. That she was the one who did it. Uh, I don't. Not that it got leaked. The intro definitely leaked. Oh yeah. It's out there. If you know where to look. Um. It isn't really a spoiler. It's pretty cool. It's no, like, it's dope. You know, we all know that the intro changes every year. Right. So now there's, this This is technically a spoiler. Cover your ears if you don't want to hear it. Although I think it's it's not like it's, you could predict this. There's a giant hole in the wall. Very fun. Yeah. There's a great thing where like kind of ice spreads out across the north. Symbolizing, you know, why Walker's March. Yeah. There's a bit where we actually go inside the red keep of yes. King's Landing in the intro. That's, that is a killer shot it's pretty damn cool like i saw it in you know like blurry phone cam footage and i was still like that's super dope so lisa loved my short version catch of of all seasons of all seven seasons earlier in the week thank you lisa it's pretty great that took like thirty thousand takes to get right he does he does like his best like music man patter like he's just (laughs) you know it was great i appreciate it thank you but yes, I was very happy it. with it. I really did. Like I worked hard on that. Thing yes, <laughs> to make sure it, uh, it it finally got right. So many takes, so many mess ups. Like oh, blah, blah, blah. yeah. All right. But yeah, very cool. He also uh, says that it is yeah one of the top five episodes he's seen. It's that good. He calls the pace near relentless. Says that it could be the funniest episode in the history of Thrones, and there's nudity. I mean, shocker. Yeah, like. John and Danny getting on at Winterfell? Question I mark? I doubt it. Well, I doubt it, but, you know. Oh, oh, good, oh, it's good. hard, like, not to talk about what we know. Yeah. Because we're not going to spoil anything. We don't the know intro. anything. Oh, we know some stuff. Oh, we're lying that we don't know anything, but we're not. We're <laughs> pretending we know nothing. But we're not going to tell you. Um, but yeah. Nudity, yes. relentless pace, hilarious, apparently. Okay. Which, you know, there's always been jokes. I, I've always liked that about the show, actually. They, yeah. They, it's never been... 
Can you imagine like an alternate universe where it was just Game of Thrones, the story, but they just stuck to the really dire, awful tone without any of the gallows humor? I don't think it would be as good a show. No. You've got to have a little gallows humor even in a show that is super serious. Right. Um, otherwise, it's it's hard to watch. And the goal of Game of Thrones at the end of the day is to get people to watch it. So, mission accomplished. Here we are, eight years later. So, you know, in a few days, we'll know for ourselves. Looking forward to that very much. We're not prepared. I mean, <laughs> we're prepared, but we're not prepared. Okay. In as much as we can be prepared. All right, and Mickey thinks the Winter King is going to win this one. Oh, Mickey, no. I don't think so. He's going down. Amy asks, why hasn't the Night King killed Jon Snow yet? So far, he's had some perfect opportunities, but he hasn't bothered. Is the Night King blood-related to Jon, and why hasn't he killed him yet? Interesting. You're too weak to face me, Jon Snow. Come back when you're better. Basically, I feel like the Night King is like, just get good. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's tried. Yeah. He, he, I mean, he... Thought Jon Snow was dead under the the ice. He tried to spear the dragons. Yeah. They managed to get away. Yeah. Although, you know, that spear thing irritates me. Because now I have to ask, like, why didn't he just chuck a spear at Jon Snow when he was at hard home floating away in the boat leisurely? Shh. That's, that's why you don't give the guy all those powers. Shh. <laughs> don't think about it too hard. I know. You should really just relax. Okay. I know. See what you did there. <laughs> All right. Um, while we're talking about the premiere, yeah. why don't we look at a few of the stars all stepped out. Let's turn this into Fashion Police for like three seconds and look at some of the, um, which I think is off the air now, um, some of the actors who were out on the red carpet and how fantastic they looked. Hit it. This is Nathalie Emmanuel wearing, I don't know, flame orange, I want to call it. it yeah, that's, that's a lot of dress, and I don't know if she's styled for i i appreciate the no non- she looks like a happy fireball uh you know that's accurate oh, okay. so i love pattern coats fashion- so. yeah isn't it great yeah. i love the fact that men are like not looking boring the one way these days yeah like i, I love the you know it, it, you could just wear like a black suit but no you gotta have some flowers on it yeah i love that i like it a lot and then this is my favorite picture gwendolyn christie walked away with the red carpet obviously far and away oh yeah like it wasn't even close yeah like she was wearing an art piece yeah that is that is the look of a woman who is feeling it so you're a little more into fashion than i am do you know like what that would have been made of uh chiffon silk chiffon it beats the hell out of me that's I'm, that's a guess everyone i don't know that much about fashion you walk out and you're like a like a like a like a like a flying squirrel made of tiger lilies and it just looks fantastic <laughs> that went so many places in so little time i'm not good at metaphors on the spot no the you got <laughs> but you're trying and that's what really counts julie says lots of good uh reviews for one and christy and yes. nicole agrees looks like chiffon yes um, so i don't want to do that too many there were lots of great looks. I do yeah. enjoy that. We're not going to do too much of it. Uh, yeah, yeah. We, we picked kind of the 11 most striking looks on Culturist. Oh, yeah? Yes. Anybody else make it into your top 11 that wasn't on there? Um, uh, now I have to think about it. Um, we definitely <laughs> talked about uh, Maisie Williams and Sophie Turner. Sure. Um, we brought in some... Uh, oh, we talked about the mountain. Uh, Half-Thor Julius Bjornsson. 
among other people. He looked like he was having a great time. And Pedro Pascal. Oh, doing, dude. Pedro Pascal was having the time of his life. He was, he was like high or drunk or something. He was having the best time. He was like stabbing his own eyes I out. Know. He was strangling the mountain. It's my favorite picture. <laughs> my other favorite picture. <laughs> like Gwendolyn Christie is like my favorite fashion picture. And then Pedro Pascal like, you know, poking his own eyes out is like my favorite comedy like, picture. He's in, the Mandal- he's in the Mandalorian. He got a big old check. And he's like, I'm the top of my life. Yep. <laughs> And Desiree asked, where's Lena? She wasn't there. She was sick. She, it wasn't a conspiracy to blow them all up when yeah. they uh, wouldn't invite her. It was fine. Okay. So now let's talk about um, post-Game of Thrones. It's almost over. I mean, it's almost started, but it's almost over. How is HBO and the fandom and everybody else going to preserve the legacy? HBO has an idea. Okay. So did you hear about this? HBO is opening in the spring of 2020. A permanent, for all we know... Uh, Game of Thrones studio tour at the Linen Mills Studios in Northern Ireland, which mm-hmm. are, you know, that they've been used for many actual studio spaces on the show. There's going to take the studio space, no longer studio space, now Game of Thrones museum, basically. And I will read what you can find in this place. The tour will bring guests face-to-face but with, with original set pieces, costumes, props, and weapons used to create the world of Game of Thrones, featuring a complex mix of behind-the-scenes insights, interactive elements, the expansive, fully-dressed sets. Fans will wander in the very footsteps of Westeros, the most prominent residents, reliving key moments from the series and standing right where they took place. We got some concept art here. You got there, uh, yeah, Daenerys' throne room, of course, and Dragonstone. You know what? Okay, what, oh, Winterfell, Great Hall. What do you think of this? Does Game of Thrones deserve, need, should have a permanent museum uh, to commemorate what it's done for Northern Ireland or just for the world? Yes. I mean, with with a show that is kind of as sumptuously designed as this one is. Yeah. So there's map room. I think it deserves it. It's going to make so much money. That's yeah, so much money. So much money. Like I want to walk around that map room real bad. I, seriously, like, Dan, you mean take a trip to Northern Ireland? Let's do you? it. Let's do it. On the company's dime, maybe. Bye. Like, we're out. <laughs> um, I think it's worth it to do. My passport is uh, current. Yes, so is mine. Let's go. <laughs> um, I think it's, ba- it's worth it to do it. Um, because, A, like, memorabilia and that sort of thing is always, like, a big seller. And I think it's, I think it's just going to be really cool. <laughs> like, it's just going to be cool, guys. It'll be really cool. I mean, uh, by the way, um, Karen asked where, where I got a dragon glass blade. I went to the uh, Magic Leap um, event here in Chicago at an AT&T store. AT&T, HBO teamed up. They uh, had an event where they had like an AR, VR Game of Thrones experience. You got to go and like put on a giant headset and fight White Walkers with a thing. It was fun. And they mailed me my invitation, a dragon glass blade, which is 100% real. And um, yeah, worth a whole lot of money. Not worth a whole lot of money. <laughs> That's where I got it. And it's fine. Yes. Um, here's a question about that. So yes, what? of course the museum is great. Yeah. Um, I think it, it makes perfect sense for, for it to be in Northern Ireland. The, the, the show's done a lot for that area in terms of tourism, in terms of the film industry. It makes perfect sense to be there. Um, are, are we seeing before our eyes Game of Thrones turn into a forever franchise with the likes of uh, Star Wars and uh, Lord of the Rings and such with this kind of kind of infrastructure being placed? Oh, Yeah. You for, think those, so? for those who are listening to our Potter, podcast, Harry Potter. Uh, yeah, for those who are listening to our podcast, I'm just kind of nodding slowly with like the, the smuggest look on my face. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like you think this is a question as long as HBO can milk this property. 
It's going to. Like, that's why we have spinoffs. That's why we have... I mean, we have one spinoff. There's others in development. You and I both know that. All I'm saying is, so Showtime, by way of comparison... Right. Showtime was adapting this thing called the King Killer Chronicle, which I I keep talking about. Fantasy series. Yeah. Never been on TV before, or movies. They're making movies. They're making a TV show. They're making video games. All, all, all. Like, all at once. That's a mistake. By comparison, I think Game of Thrones is actually being pretty restrained, or HBO is being pretty restrained. Yeah. Um, yes. I think that HBO's approach is correct here, because mm-hmm. if you oversaturate things, nobody's going to watch anything. Um, yes. Oh, hey, Sarah. I, I agree that HBO... I think HBO is being con- restrained, mm-hmm. but they're still going to make money off this property. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's the thing. Um, I wouldn't have bought this if it wasn't sent to me, but it is fun. I, I don't think this is the last we're going to see of these kind of post-Game of Thrones projects. I would love, like, a traveling costume exhibition. I was going to ask, because they actually said that the studio's tour is the first in a series of Game of Thrones legacy projects. What could the others be? Traveling exhibition. Like, cool. I would love, like, a traveling costume and prop exhibition. Um, I'm a yeah. big nerd, so I would just love to go stare at clothes all day. Um, you should go to the at t store downtown. They have a lot of really cool costumes from the show. I think you'd actually like that. It was really, really fun. I would actually like that. Um, I think that's going to be something. I think there's probably going to be some sort of kind of... The, legacy is, I think, the important word here. Mm-hmm. Like, they... Game of Thrones has always been... Or already been established in this uh, the kind of cultural lexicon... So I think the next thing is to keep entrenching it in the cultural lexicon. It increases brand awareness, you know, for all those super nice uh, <laughs> business uh, business lingo words. But I, I think it's it behooves people to like see this kind of stuff up close, like this kind of tangible aspect to it. It's a different experience from just watching the show. Right. So I can I attest uh, again at the, at the AT&T store downtown Chicago, they had like Sansa's dress from season four. They had Cersei's crown. They had like our stuff. They had Brienne's armor. They had like a whole wall of like an ice uh, oathbreaker, the widow's whale, like all the Valyrian steel swords. It was really cool. Yeah. But yeah, I think, I think this is just, it, as it said, it's the, it's the beginning. It's, this is not going to be the last thing we see from this sort of thing. I love what Harley is saying here about um, Belfast has changed so much since it all started. Like the, the gentrification of Belfast and surrounding area is insane. I believe it. It, it was a pretty rundown town. Now it's a cosmopolitan city. Thanks to this TV show, Mental. And then there are a lot of four-leaf clover um, emojis. I don't know what that is. Technical difficulties, everyone. Symbols. Yes. Cool. Well, just shamrocks, I think. Whatever. Oh, yeah, because they're not four-leaf. So there you go. Yeah. It's Transform Belfast. Now, okay, um, Harley, it sounds like you have a good opinion of this. Is this a, a good thing overall that it's turned Belfast from this, uh, as you say, run downtown, your words, not mine, into a cosmopolitan city? Because sometimes that can have drawbacks. Sometimes you gentrify a place, it pushes people out. But at, at the moment, it looks like this is something to be celebrated. And, and I think it is. I think it has done good things overall. Yeah. And hopefully it will keep doing good things. Yes. But I'd, be, I mean, I'd love to know your opinion on that. Yes. And speaking of uh, forever franchises, you are going to the Star Wars celebration here in Chicago tomorrow? Tomorrow. <laughs> it starts, yeah. Starts the tomorrow. yearly event for all it things It is not Star yearly. How, how often is it? It is you. Um, the last one was in 2017 for the Last Jedi. Bi-yearly. 
Yeah, it's not like a regularly scheduled thing. It just all right, so it's even more special. Yeah. All right, so Cheryl, you're going to McCormick Place with a giant convention center. Yeah. Going to have this giant Star Wars event. They're going to be. I'm sure they're going to be probably trailers, announcements, panels. What are you looking forward to? Everything. No. Um, <laughs> so yes, I really, really fast. Kenny asks, how long? So it, 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 is that the AT and T store? I believe through June is what they told me. And there are also these displays in Boston, New York, and San Francisco. If you happen to live near one of those. Okay, go on. Okay, uh, Star Wars. Star Wars. Uh, Star Wars. Uh, so, yes, I will be on the floor of Star Wars Celebration. Uh, so, if you want to follow... Uh, She's jealous of you, Cheryl. Lisa is. Oh, yes. Thanks, Lisa. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm jealous of myself in a weird way. Um, so yes, I will be on the floor tweeting, uh, and posting to Instagram from Culturist FS. Um, so if you want to give a follow, there's going to be coverage on our site. Um, I am excited for everything that they will let me get into. Um, so I did, I will be covering all like the four major panels. I will be covering some smaller panels. I will be talking about exclusives that I find on the floor or just cool stuff that I find on the floor be covering cosplay i will be basically in heaven <laughs> and then nice people i get to come see you all on sunday night hopefully uh when we do our the game of thrones extravaganza that's right we should talk about that we um, should sunday night so obviously game of thrones ain't gonna start we're gonna keep doing the wednesday show yes but if you want to talk about the episode right after it airs we will also have an after show immediately after the episode right here so it airs at eight o'clock central where we are yes. wherever it airs where you are i believe it's some cast around the world it's some around the world. i want to believe so yes yes um it'll be we'll have our after show around 9 p.m central standard time which should hopefully translate to wherever you are yeah and then we'll have this show normally on wednesdays so yes. we're gonna talk about we're gonna break it down we're gonna have a good time yes so i'll basically be coming from celebration so i will be you know in day four of five days of celebration and I will be coming here to talk, uh, to be posting, writing about Game of Thrones, uh, all that good stuff. And I'll be on the after show eventually. And I will be on the after show eventually. Um, I think I'm allowed to say which ones that I'm the... Go ahead. Okay, I will be on episode three, which is the Battle of Winterfell. Mm -hmm. And then episode six, which is the finale. Oh so I'm just going to be wearing all black because I'm going to be in mourning for everybody. Uh, but yes. It's going to be a good time. Cheryl. It's going to be great. I'm excited. Um, so yes, I will be, uh, like I said, on the floor, Star Wars Celebration, Culturist FS on Twitter and Instagram, um, posts coming to culturist.com. I'm sure some of them will end up on Wix social media pages just in case. Um, but yeah, I'm extremely excited. I, uh, like I said, I'm basically going to be in heaven for five days. I can't wait to hear about it. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> All right. Um, now before we bring on Mr. Josh Hill for A Song of Dan and Josh... Uh, goodbye, Cheryl. Thank you Bye. for everything you've done for us. Yeah, you make today. it sound like I'm gonna die. I know. <laughs> I'm not dying, guys. And we will be right back. Uh. <laughs> oh, Ned Stark, will you ever learn? No, oh, sorry, I didn't see you there. I'm Dan Selke, the editor at WinnerIsComing.net, your one-stop shop for all things Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire, and genre fiction in general. We here at Wick love bringing you news, reviews, and editorial content, and we're going to keep doing all that stuff. However, for the especially hardcore among you, we're going to start offering even more. Welcome to the Wick Club. The Wick Club is a Patreon-funded effort to provide fantasy and sci-fi fans with even more Wick content. 
you can join at several levels. For $1 a month, you can enter into monthly swag giveaways and get to read extra columns. At $4, you'll get to watch extra episodes of Take the Black Lie, our weekly chat show, with topics chosen by you. Please be gentle. And at the Valyrian Steel level, that's $10 a month, you get Wick Club t-shirts and access to a new segment we're calling Drinking and Knowing Things, a monthly live stream where I drink wine and talk with all of you in a free-flowing conversation about Game of Thrones, fantasy, sci-fi, and whatever else comes up after I've had a few. Just to be clear, we're not going to stop doing anything on Wick we already do, and we're hoping to add more stuff anyway. The Wick Club is a way to produce even more content, and hopefully to get to know some of you better. You can find links to more information below. We hope to see you in the Wick Clubhouse. Valor Morgulis, bottoms up, and thanks for watching. Welcome back, everybody. This is A Song of Dan and Josh, the show where myself and Josh Hill of fansided.com read through each and every chapter of A Song of Ice and Fire, George R. R. Martin's unfinished masterpiece, and break them down. It makes them work, what makes them succeed, what makes them special, what makes them, on occasion, not work if we think that's the case. And by the way, to, um, let's see, somebody asked, oh, uh, Kathleen, the address for Cheryl's site is culturus.com. Mm-hmm. That's C-U-L-T-U-R-E-S-S dot com. Dot C-O-M. Yes. There you go. I said dot com. I know, but you spell out the first thing, spell out the last thing, too. It's true. Dot C-O-M. Period. <laughs> All right. Okay, so we're here to talk about Daenerys 1, the first Daenerys yeah. chapter from A Clash of Kings. D-A-E-Y-N-E something, I don't know. <laughs> A-E-N. Oh my god, I can't see yeah. I've already here, thank God. <laughs> E-R-Y-S. Paper, <laughs> yes, Daenerys 1, which was very Moses-y. It was oh, very so. biblical. It. it was very, she's leading her disciples or the last of her people through essentially the desert. Yeah. She's got this very prophetic thing going on. It really was. It was mm-hmm. extremely like that. Um, I mean, the whole conceit is that Okay, so what I liked about it is, so this chapter basically, there's a whole lot that happens. Daenerys, um, it's the first chapter in Clash of Kings. Yep. Which, she doesn't really have a lot of chapters in this book, by the way. It's, no? it's kind of an off book for Daenerys, just like a down book, which is fine. Right. Um, she's leading her Dothraki followers, which aren't that many, somewhere. And uh, what I like about it is it's, 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 it's a nice mix of mythic. We forgot the GOT Oreos. Oh, oh. my God, Dan. If you want to give us any, Cheryl, we <laughs> love it. I'm leaving. I came for the Oreos. No, we're going to get them. <laughs> I completely forgot. Thank you for reminding us, Diane. Game of Thrones Oreos available now wherever <laughs> Oreos are sold. Okay. Can I open this? You wouldn't mind? Ugh. Ooh. I have a Stark Oreo. And I have a Night King Oreo. That's pretty cool. It's very cool. I don't what? know what this is. Oh, you want an Oreo? Oh, Richard needs an Oreo. Oh, here go, Richard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm. uh, I don't even know what this is. <laughs> I have an Oreo. Mine says Oreo. House What's Oreo. Around? Oh, there's something on the back. There you go. That's a that's that's, I, that's Targaryen. Targaryen. Dragon. I knew that. I was just testing you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Targaryens. Targaryens. Well, how fitting so, that we're talking about a Targaryen and too. And you just ate one. What I liked about the chapter is that it mixes this kind of mythic 
bits. Yeah. Yes, that she's following a comet. Mm-hmm. Um, Which she also interprets as being her, just like Theon yes. did. The Daenerys Targaryen had first had seen the comet first on the night she had burned Khal Drogo, the night her dragons had awakened. Mm-hmm. The gods have sent it to show me the way. Again, very mythic, yep. very epic. I think she has more of a claim to that than Theon does, who just kind of looks at it and assumes, like, I'm great, that's my comet. <laughs> like, she did birth dragons when she saw it. That's, yeah. that's a good connection. Fire. Yeah. You know, they're fire, it's fire, yada, yada, yada. Um, so it has that. But it also mixes it with this very kind of practical aspect, mm-hmm. where she's following the comet, and they're one at the desert, it's very Moses-like. Yeah. But also, she says, okay, she thinks, rather, mm-hmm. okay, so I can't go... Uh, to the Dothraki Sea because the Dothraki calls will find me and they will kill me and take mm-hmm. the dragons. I can't go south because the lamb people will kill me and take the dragons. Like, <laughs> yes, it's mythic and epic, but also she she has to go into this horrible desert because everywhere else there are people <laughs> and killer. she's basically defenseless. <laughs> she has like three tiny baby dragons and some old men and like women and children in her Dothraki horde. Mm-hmm. Like, th- this is the only way she can go, which I like. I like that... Yeah. Game of Thrones is all about, A Song of the Fire is all about taking kind of the mythic fantasy tropes of a Lord of the Rings, and they're still there, mm-hmm. but you mix in the kind of real-world politics side. Yeah. And this is that. Yes, it's a Moses trip to the desert, but it's also, it's listen, necessary. we gotta go to the desert because there's no other option. Yeah, it's necessary. She has to. Mm-hmm. Which, I don't know, that was... The Moses-y angle to it was it was a little on the nose. I guess think- it's maybe because I know where the story goes, so she does have this very like religious arc yes in a lot of ways so i don't know if that's what martin was going for but i do like that he kind of i mean i know it's what he was going for but i like how he kind of weaved it in there where it's like oh yeah this there's practicality in why she's doing this and um there's another bit with that where they so they wander for a while Mm -hmm. and they reach um a city this bit is cut from the show i don't know if you remember what happens in this bit um i forget what they call it they call it a I didn't review this. I was too busy. Oh, Veus Taloro, like a dead city, like this okay. empty city, which was a thing in the ancient world, by the way. Yeah. Just like if you go through, you know, the, the Mediterranean, there are just like <laughs> empty cities and ruins left over from like literally 4,000 years ago. It's kind of mm-hmm. lying around. So it, it, it's true. They're still there out there. Like Indiana Jones goes and finds them. I'm not doubting. Um, I'm not doubting the archaeology here. So, I live in facts, Dan. So she and her followers find this. Amy, Dan will eat them all, says Amy. I will if I could. I probably won't have time. Um, so they find this dead city, mm-hmm. and they're kind of looking around it. They're like, okay, we wanted this forever. We find this place. We can actually settle for a minute. Yeah. Some of her followers are like, but there are ghosts here. And she has another good line where she says, um, I fear no ghosts. Dragons are more powerful than ghosts. But then she thinks... And the figs are more important. Like, there's food here, people. Mm. Like, I know, I'm sorry you were afraid of ghosts, but we need to eat something or we're all going to die. But it's it's because she's projecting, Daenerys is projecting this, I don't fear ghosts, dragons are stronger. Mm-hmm. Like this mythical kind of a yeah. m- mother leader persona. But she's thinking like, she, she's thinking practically, but living her life kind of as a cult leader type person. Yeah, and that's kind of what comes to define Daenerys as she continues this arc, she is this cult leader. She is this person that literally frees people and is like, you're fighting mm-hmm. for me because I am literally your savior. I have come and I yeah. have saved you. So yeah, it's interesting. And, and I guess I didn't know that she didn't have that many chapters in this book. So I think there's like six. 
it's good. To, I mean, it's it's necessary development to getting her to where she is because she's right at this point right now. I don't think she ever becomes an unlikable character, but she de- mm. there's definitely she bumps up against the edge of all right. This is you're, you've become something different than you were before, she and this is changes, this yeah. is the start of that where she is seeing herself while she's thinking practically, she's living very mythologically, and that's you know goes to your head at some point. I mean, because that's kind of what you do as a leader. Yeah, like it's about your image, but what, but what what you project. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's leaders we have in the real world. Like, you know, um, FDR wasn't always a soft-spoken, wheelchair-bound kind of person who becalmed the nation in a hard time. Mm-hmm. He enjoyed gossip. He was he a bit of a lech. Oh, he loved it. He, he, he liked oh, I know. In the family. Big FDR fan. Are you? Oh, yeah. He was big into the gossip. He, he loved the gossip. Not all of them did that. So yeah, there, there's this divide between who a leader you see them as and who they are in private, and they're not always the same. And you know, it's reflected here with Harris and Jon Snow. Well, Jon Snow is more of a straightforward kind of a George W. Bush uh, type figure, he's where just, he's just like he just compared Jon Snow to what, George. What w. you see Bush. is what you get. You no, know, because Bush is putting that on. Jon doesn't really put it on. I know. It's just the comparison's hilarious. Because it's like, I don't ever think of those two characters. <laughs> where my mind went one. immediately. If you have a better comparison, I'd like to hear it. Okay. So uh, the first part of the chapter is, by the way, incredibly miserable, where they just wander through the yeah. desert. Around the land grew more desolate. Dorea took a fever and grew worse with every league they crossed. Her lips and hands broke with blood blisters. Her hair came out in clumps. And one Evan Falls, she lacked the strength to mount her horse. And then Danny just kind of stays with that person until she dies. Good leader, that Danny. Yeah. Compassionate. Compassion. We also get our first uh, look at the baby dragons. Yes. Okay, I'm going to read the description, then we're going to look at them on the show and see how they compared. <clears throat> the baby dragons, as written by George R. R. Martin in a feast. A clash of kings. kings. There you go. This is a feast. The dragons were no <laughs> larger than the scrawny cats she had once seen skulking along the walls of Magister Illyrio State and Pentos until they unfolded their wings. Their span was three times their length, each uh, wing a delicate fan of translucent skin gorgeously colored, stretched taut between long, thin bones. When you looked hard, you could see that most of their body was neck, tail, and wing. I think we have an image. <laughs> Oops. Anyway, Use your um, imagination. what impression do, do, do the dragons give you here? Uh, <laughs> a good one? No. Okay. No, uh, no, I mean, she's the mother of dragons. Like, she has to, it's, there's this connection. The important thing to me out of that was there's this connection between her and the dragons that is mm. deeper than what you would initially think it is. Because she's, you, you think she just has these as pets, the comparison to the cats. Mm-hmm. And, but these are part of her. These right, are yeah. her children. Like, they're not pets. They are not just something that she has around to come home to and pet. Like, she, they're an extension of her. Like, yeah. she is the dragons. So I think that that was important in highlighting that. But, And I was also distracted by you eating your Oreo. <laughs> this is a distracted episode. I got great. a prop. I got Oreos. I'm having a good time. It's good. We have fun here. <laughs> a lot of fun here. But it's also cool that they're, that they're so weak. I mean, like, it's like yeah. a huge, momentous event. But really, they can't do anything. No. Yet. But that's... Uh, I read that as a metaphor for Ooh. Daenerys. It's like we meet her and she's this meek character who can't really do much. And mm-hmm. then she blossoms and grows into like that. one of the strongest front runners to you know, win the Iron Throne or however you want to put it. But she is one of the most powerful characters in the book and on the show. But she didn't start that way. So she grew in it. And that's kind of the same thing with the dragons where they're not powerful right now. But you think of dragons, you think of these bright, fire-breathing monsters. And they're just, you know, these cute little things. 
I agree with you. I like that. That, that, that they kind of grow with her. The mm-hmm. more powerful they get, the more powerful she gets. And that's that's true. Like she's never been more powerful now on the show with her yeah. armies and her boats and her hand of the king and Tyrion <laughs> and the dragons are freaking powerful too. She did lose one though. Um, and yeah, at, at this point she's incredibly weak as well. Yep. Like no, like I said, no followers. I mean, her followers are you know they can't really do anything. They're older. They're kids. Yeah. And uh, she'll have to work her way up, which is why this book is kind of a, a slow book for her. Mm. Do you remember this part in the show much, by the way? Not it's where really. she goes to Karth. A little bit, but not really. Like, I can I can picture the scenery, but I don't even think right. I'm picturing it right. It's one where the dra- her dragons are stolen. She has the memeable, like, where are my dragons <laughs> bit, which has made the meme rounds so, oh, over the nice. years. Um, yeah, it's definitely a... And they punch that up for the show, by mm. the way. It's much less eventful I was going to say, books. it was very subtle in the book. Hmm? I mean, we, we, we haven't been there yet in the book oh. to Karth, but we're getting there. Oh. Um, Jorah Mormont. I was going to say, we've talked about it here. I was like, I didn't mention, I didn't notice that when reading the books. I mean, at, like, at, at the very subtly. end, at, at the very end, three people, so she sends her blood riders oh. out to find people and one of them finds Karth and she brings back three people from the city oh. and then in the next chapter, we'll be there Spoilers, and we'll check it man. out. What's that? Spoilers, man. Come on. It's it's a really old book, and the show, which we've established, the entire point of this segment is I've never read the books. You've seen the show though, I same have. thing. Okay, she's going to car. A little different, but it still still works. The same thing. Okay. Anyway, Jorah Mormont. Yes. So he, she has a long conversation with him. Mm-hmm. He basically, she basically asks, like, I'm not doing anything for the next twenty minutes. Tell me your life story. And, Exposition. Um, did it feel like that? Because he, he gives this long account of basically his marriage to his second wife mm-hmm. and saying that, you know, she was very beautiful. She was a lot richer than me. I saw her when I wanted a tur- when I wanted a, I won a tournament. Mm-hmm. I asked for her hand. Her father said yes for some stupid reason. Um, I brought her back to Bear Island, which compared to where she was used to living is like bringing you from a penthouse apartment in Paris to a trailer um, in Alabama the backwoods of what's that? <laughs> like Louisiana or like Alabama? Or yeah, somewhere. or like the Bad Carolina. I won't say which one. You decide that. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> and she was upset, and so we had to do more and more things to kind of please her, ah. which eventually ended in selling slaves, yep. which is illegal. And that's why he got exiled in the first mm-hmm. place. Um, it's a long bit. Um, what do you think of Jorah pouring his heart out to Daenerys? Uh, I thought that it was that, him. Um, Falling in love with Daenerys. You don't just open up your heart like that. Which one did you get? I, I got a Lannister lion. <laughs> I'm so very proud about that. I really am. <laughs> I love this, the, the joy. It's great. Does it I, taste, I only does got it taste like a Lannister, so far. Does it taste like a Lannister lion? Mm. Oh, it's a bit of broken glass in her. Oh, I'm suing. There you go. Um, no, but with Jorah, it's like, you don't just pour your heart out like that. So he's clearly has some emotional connection to, Daener- to Daenerys, this loyalty that extends far beyond the point we're at right now. But to me, that, that was more him investing and him opening up. And I couldn't tell if it was out of desperation because he knows he can't go back. He knows there's, mm-hmm. he's, this is his life now. Or if it was because he's genuinely opening up because he has these feelings of affection for Daenerys and this feeling of trust where he can open up and expose himself He's supposed to be this strong soldier, male character who's right. opening up a wound and opening up his, you know, this, this side of him that you don't n- normally see. And he's doing that for Danny. Yes. I mean, she did ask, and he was like, you're my queen, I'm fine, I'll tell you. Yeah, you could have said it, no. It, like, it, no. I mean, it kind of came off as like, I, it, it did read a little bit forced to me that, like, no one less talks in these long, page-long paragraphs about their life story. 
But um, at the end, she asks, uh, what did your second wife look like? And he, of course, responds, why, she looked a bit like you, Daenerys. And then he leaves the tent or whatever <laughs> they are. Wow. And, you know, there's a lot we can take right there. Yeah. Obviously, he has this unrequited love for her. A little bit. And uh, it's started. It started up. And she, and there's a bit where, where, where she tries to think of it. There's a nice little passage where she's like, she tried to think of being with Jorah, but it just, it wasn't working. Poor Jorah. <laughs> in, in her head. Poor Jorah. It's over before it even starts. Oh, totally. He walked out of that and he's like, oh yeah, I laid, I've planted the seeds and I will exactly. let them grow. She's like. <laughs> Dan- Daenerys is like, ugh. Nah, ugh, God. She says, um, his face kept morphing into Khal Drogo. So, you know, she's still carrying that torch. And, yeah. uh, but she does say, see, he can never have me, but one day I can give him back his home and honor. That much I can do for him. I mean, you, you mentioned about, um, okay, it's like such wh- why, 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 because he wants much more than that. And she's like, wants to fall in love with her and has this like whole grand vision of <laughs> I think he is in love their children and everything like that. <laughs> and she's like. I can send you home. That'll I mean, be good. Well, you just like, mentioned that, like, um, you're not sure if he was talking to her because he doesn't think he can ever get home again. Yeah. I mean, that is a big thing. He's it been. Is. I mean, uh, how would you feel if you were told you could never go home to your family again and you had to go live the rest of your life in Puerto Vallarta? I mean, it could be rough. So going home is a big thing. That's important. Yeah. So, and she. Well, you mentioned just he can't go home again. She can take him home. You, yeah. Like, if she's going to invade and be the queen, like, oh. You broke a law? Guess what? I'm the queen. You didn't break no law. I pardon you. Yeah. Like, that's that's his ticket back and his ticket to love. It is, but I think he envisions a different ending to that where he's by Daenerys' side. Right. Where it's like, in reality, it's the end Your of a king, road maybe? trip. It's the end of uh, planes, trains, and automobiles where they got to go their separate ways at the end. Bye. I don't know who's John Candy in that scenario. I'll leave that up to interpretation. Okay. And finally, uh, some vocab from this um, pretty uneventful, but again evocatively written chapter yeah okay um uh i don't know how to say this one it was a sere and desolate land of low hills and barren windswept plains sere means dry or withered siri sere i don't know and uh the dragons have to always have danny in their sight it's the only way of keeping them quiescent you know what quiescent Tell me, Dan. Educate It me. means in a state or period of inactivity or dormancy. Ah, so yes. even calm. Otherwise, they freak out and they, like, squawk or whatever. I'm habitually quiescent. Yeah, you're a pretty quiescent guy. Very quiescent. Yeah, you're pretty usually going. And finally, uh, in Vegas Taloro, Danny sees an empty marble plinth. Plinth. Which is a, you know what that is? I don't. I just it's like a, saying it. It's a fun word, yeah. Plinth. plinth. I can say that one. It's a base that supports a statue... Or vase. So basically, it, it's kind of that fun um, uh, environmental storytelling thing. Like yeah. she mentions that, okay, so it's a dead city. I'm finding an empty thing where a statue should be. Someone took this. A plinth. <laughs> it's a lot less exciting than it is to say. A plinth. 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 It is plinth. TH. Plinth. plinth. Ooh, I didn't say it right. Okay, this is an intro. I, I, I had a TH at the end. I was throwing an F in there for some reason. Yeah. Plinth. Plinth. I don't know. You're not being so quiescent now, are you? I'm not. But, like, George R. R. Martin can make up words. So can I. These aren't made up. These are real words. <laughs> Most of them are made up. <laughs> I'm not quoting you fake words. Okay. Seared. Scorched. Scorched. Yes. Although it's spelled S-E-R-E-D. Seared. This is a weird episode of Song of the Josh, I thought. We were, we were pretty loose in this one. Seared. Seared. 
Any other thoughts, Josh? No, I'm very quiescent about this chapter. Thanks and we for got watching, Oreos, everybody. Too. So, Oreos, there's we no booze this time, but we have and, Oreos. Um, Next week, we're going to take a break from A Song of Man and Josh. Is there something and, going on with Unless Game there's like a... Week? Oh, because you know what we're going to be doing? We're going to be covering the final season of what? Veep on HBO. There we Just go. Hit it. Hit it hard. I thought we were doing season two of Barry. I, I, I thought about that too, but I, I, I want to say the final season of to like lead up to it. Oh, I thought go. about this joke. Um, Game of Thrones coming back on. We're going to cover mm-hmm. that. Um, we're going to take a break from Song of Ben and Josh for the next six weeks. We'll be back after that with the rest of Clash of Kings. Hope you guys stick with us. It's going to be a fun time. Yeah. And Julie Davies has a few plinths. Plinths. And Diane wants to know where we got our Oreos. I believe they were sent to us so we yeah. could review them, which I'm going to do right now. You can now. buy them anywhere, can't you? But yeah. I mean, they're oh, yeah. Oreos. There you go. You're Eat a Target. There you go. Oh, my Get God. in there. Get in there. Mmm. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Oh god. This is great. This is the best episode we've ever done. I can't believe we have to take a break from this. What a way to go out. Night, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for watching. We'll be back next Wednesday reviewing Game of Thrones Season 8, Episode 1. Here we go. See ya. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Get everything for your next project today at Menards and save big money. Keep your walls and trim protected while you paint with Scotch Blue Painter's Tape. It's designed for use on multiple surfaces and can be removed easily without leaving residue behind. Save big on Scotch Blue Painter's Tape from Menards. Also, view our weekly flyer on Menards.com and check out all of our great deals happening this week. Save big money at Menards.